This is front page news, and a great deal of money is jangling behind the scenes. Money and the voice that called Les out of the blue and asked if he was familiar with the work of H.H.H. Mandarin and if he might be available for an interview. Money in the messages from the publicist instructing Les what questions were absolutely off the table for H.H.H. Mandarin, his wife, his daughter, his poorly reviewed poetry collection. Money in the choice of venue, the advertisements plastered all over the village. Money in the inflatable Peabody battling the wind outside the theater. Money even in the hotel Arthur has been placed in, where he was shown a pile of complimentary apples he can feel free to take any time, day or night. You're welcome. In a world where most people read one book a year, there is a lot of money hoping that this is the book and that this night will be the glorious kickoff. And they are depending on Arthur Less. And still, Dutifully, he watches the stopped clock. He does not see the escort standing woefully beside him. He does not see her adjust her scarf, then exit the lobby through the washing machine of its revolving doors. Look at the thinning hair at the crown of his head, the rapid blink of his eyes. Look at his boyish faith. Once, in his twenties, a poet he had been talking with extinguished her cigarette in a potted plant and said, you're like a person without skin. A poet had said this. One who made her living, flaying herself alive in public, had said that he, tall and young and hopeful Arthur Less, was without skin. But it was true. You need to get an edge. His old rival Carlos constantly told him in the old days. But Less had not known what that meant. To be mean? No. It meant to be protected, armored against the world. But can one get an edge any more than one can get a sense of humor? Or do you fake it, the way a humorless businessman memorizes jokes and is considered a riot, leaving parties before he runs out of material? Whatever it is, Les never learned it. By his forties, all he has managed to grow is a gentle sense of himself, akin to the transparent carapace of a soft-shelled crab. A mediocre review or careless slight can no longer harm him. But heartbreak, real, true heartbreak, can pierce his thin hide and bring out the same shade of blood as ever. How can so many things become a bore by middle age, philosophy, radicalism, and other fast foods, but heartbreak keeps its sting? perhaps because he finds fresh sources for it. Even foolish old fears have never been vanquished, only avoided. Telephone calls, frenetically dialing like a man decoding a bomb. Taxicabs, fumbling the tip and leaping out as from a hostage situation. And talking to attractive men or celebrities at parties, still mentally rehearsing his opening lines, only to realize they are saying their goodbyes. He still has these fears, but the passage of time solved them for him. Texting and email saved him from phones forever. Credit card machines appeared in taxis. A missed opportunity could contact you online. But heartbreak. How can you avoid it except to renounce love entirely? In the end, that is the only solution Arthur Less could find. Perhaps it explains why he gave nine years to a certain young man. I have neglected to mention that he has on his lap a Russian cosmonaut's helmet. But now, 
a bit of luck. From the world outside the lobby, a chime rings out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Causing Arthur Less to pop out of his seat. Look at him, staring at his betrayer, the clock, then running to the front desk and asking, at last, the essential temporal question. I don't understand how you could think I was a woman. You are such a talented writer, Mr. Les. You tricked me. And what are you carrying? This? The bookstore asked me to... I loved dark matter. There is a part that reminded me of Kawabata. He's one of my favorites, the old capital, Kyoto. I am from Kyoto, Mr. Les. Really? I'll be there in a few months. Mr. Les, we are having a problem. This conversation...